0: Thank you very much. I couldn't have sung that better in Spanish myself. You've <laughs> been turning your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 11. We've been looking uh, for the last couple of months, a series entitled Dealing with Doubt. We've been just examining some common objections to Christianity. This is the final uh, message and we're simply going to deal with the issue of doubt itself. Man named David Heller. He collects letters that uh, children have written to God. Here's one of them. It says, "Dear God, I have doubts about you sometimes. Sometimes I really believe, like when I was four and I hurt my arm and you healed it up fast. But my question is, if you could do this, why don't you stop all the bad in the world, like war, disease, famine, drugs?" There's problems in other people's neighborhoods, too. <laughs> he said, I'll try to believe more, signed Ian, age 10. <clears throat> Doubt is a very, very common issue as we're going to look in, in uh, many people's lives. The scripture that we're going to look at, our, our final message is a man that we know as John the Baptist. This is actually one of Jesus' followers. But at a crucial moment in his life, he is having doubts about Jesus. And so we need to see what is Jesus' strategy for dealing with doubt. Because we can see in our scripture a prescription that will help Every person that is dealing with doubt, whether you are as extreme as an atheist, you don't believe in God at all, or whether you are a Christian, but you are struggling with some doubts, our scripture gives us a roadmap for dealing with doubt. I want to preach about dealing with doubt. Matthew chapter 11, let's start reading in verse 2. The Bible says, when John heard in prison about the works of Christ... He sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Dealing with doubt. I want to begin, let's talk about the reality of doubt for a moment. This is one of the facts of life, has to do with the issue of doubt. We understand by definition in the dictionary, the word doubt means to be uncertain about something. It means to lack confidence, or it means to consider that something is unlikely. That's in the dictionary. In the, the, the Scripture that we're reading here, the nature of doubt, literally, when we read the word doubt in the Bible, it, it means to have or to see no way out. And a good word that is used with doubt is perplexed. In other words, I don't know where to turn to resolve this. So, in our Scripture, John sends some messengers to Jesus with some questions that he doesn't have answers for and that is the nature of doubt there is some question that is bothering us making us uncertain and we don't have the answers for it some of the greatest issues of doubt are the existence of God and the reality of God people wrestle with these questions Does God exist? And we looked at that. If He exists, then what is God like? Of course, how is He going to act or treat us? And then, of course, you have the why questions. If God exists, why does He do this? Or why doesn't He do that? The point I want to make tonight is doubt is common to all people. Whether you are an atheist, an atheist is someone who is convinced there is no God. They say they know there is no God. And in America, we have atheists that are vehemently campaigning against God and Christianity. Then you have skeptics or agnostics. These are people who are not convinced. They don't say absolutely there is no God, but they're not certain and they're saying there are certain elements about Christianity or, or the Bible that they have trouble with and they can't see a way to resolve them. But in our scripture, the doubt is not coming from an atheist or an agnostic. The doubt is coming from a believer. People who do have belief in God, who do have relationship with God, it is possible that you will struggle at times with doubt. And I want to be, let's be honest about that. Think about four examples from the Bible of people who struggled with doubt even though they were believers. We read in John 20, 27, Thomas. Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand, put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. For, for Thomas, this is intellectual. How Can a man raise from the dead? So he's struggling with this issue, and that's what Jesus deals with. In our scripture, John the Baptist, who even preached about Jesus and opened the road for him, and our verses 2 and 3, when he heard what Jesus was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one to come, or should we expect someone else? In this instance, it's not intellectual. His doubt is operational. In other words, the way that God is doing things. And of course, I'm in prison. How does that work if I'm a follower of God? And so there are people, their struggle is not intellectual, it's operational. We see a third example. John eleven twenty one. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. So here is doubt that is born out of personal pain or loss I lost a loved one here. I don't get it. How does that work and and fit in with love and we looked at a whole message about that. Psalms 73 uh, 2 and 3 gives the fourth example. In the New Century version it says I almost stopped believing. I had almost lost my faith because I was jealous of proud people. I saw wicked people doing well. Here is doubt that is born out of injustice. Looking at the world and here is someone who's wrestling with the basic issues god if you are real why do bad people get good things and then of course why do good people get bad things i don't get that and those are just four of the areas that even believers struggle with this issue of doubt so the key is what does that produce inside of people? Verse 6 says, blessed is he who is not offended in me or offended because of me. The word offended is to be tripped up or to be trapped. It's a word in the Greek, scandalon. Blessed are those who are not scandalized because of me. Intellectually, because of pain, because of, of uh, injustice, that they're not trapped. For unbelievers, for someone who doesn't believe in God, they feel that their doubts have them trapped. I can't get beyond uh, the issue of injustice. I can't get beyond uh, the issue of the Bible or, or uh, whatever it might be. Uh, I can't come to faith in God. I'm trapped by my doubt. For believers, many times, they are scandalized, meaning they are trapped. What happens to Christians is they feel condemned for having doubts, right? The reason why you're supposed to be in in church is because you believe in God, and yet they're serving God. But at the back of their mind, there's something that's eating away. They're having doubts, and so there are many believers, they say, "'I must be wicked.'" There must be something wrong with me because I'm struggling with this situation or I don't understand every scripture or I don't understand everything that God does. There must be something wrong. And for many people, they believe the answer, especially is for believers, don't talk about it. Must not doubt. Must not doubt. They think that that is the answer. But that is actually incorrect. I'm going to give you key number one, and it actually is going to form, we'll look at this in in detail. What you should actually do when you're doubting is examine your doubts. Isn't it interesting, when people have doubts, they put God under the microscope. Right? I'm having doubt. I don't know that God put you under the microscope. Let's talk about tsunamis in East Asia and how that fits with But the real issue is when you're having doubts, you actually should put your doubts under the microscope. That's one thing that many people never do. They never engage their mind. Remember, one of the foundations of the series is God says you should love the Lord God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. Christianity means you're going to be a thinker. If you believe that Christianity means you never think, I'm having doubt, must not think about it, must not think about it. That's totally incorrect. That is not the answer that Jesus gives. And so the key is, number one, if you're going to deal with doubt, you need to examine your doubt. So that brings us then to point two in which we are going to examine the issue of doubt in detail. Let's talk about understanding doubt. There are numbers of errors that people have about doubt. I want you to think about these errors. Error number one, people believe that doubt is purely a result of intellectual reasoning. In other words, what people will say is, I'm having these doubts or I can't believe in God and that's purely based on the facts or the evidence. But I say that is dishonest. Rarely are the doubts purely intellectual. We're going to see this from the scripture. In fact, doubt often is emotional. It is based in feelings. It is not that there is no evidence. The issue is what I am feeling is making the evidence feel not real. That's what John the Baptist is saying here. Doubt is actually an emotional issue in many cases. You have the issue of pain. I'll repeat something I quoted in in the first message. I was listening to an interview with Alex McFarlane, written numbers of books aimed at uh, uh, atheists and helping uh, people who don't believe in God. In this interview, the man asked him, do you find a common theme when you speak to atheists? He's actually done in-depth interviews and debated 37 of the world's leading atheists. He said, yes, the common theme I find in atheists is emotional pain. He says, they'll tell me I can't believe in God because of this or that fact. But he says, when I begin to speak to them, they will tell me stories of how they became an unbeliever, stories of sickness, death, divorce, abuse, and molestation. He says, in fact, when I speak to atheists, I... Try to work the conversation around to their relationship with their dad. Tell me about your dad. Because often uh, it's common when we have unresolved pain about our fathers or lack thereof, this manifests in anger and resentment to the Heavenly Father. Here's John the Baptist. He's in prison. He's not looking, reading uh, atheist blogs and going, Man, this is messing with my head. What he's saying is, I don't feel so good. And when I don't feel so good because of my circumstances, is this real? Are you really the one? Then you have unmet expectations. The problem here is that John had expectations. If Jesus is the Messiah, then he had expectations of what the Messiah is going to bring, which is a conquering force I preach the Messiah, and he's going, and I'm sitting in prison? So, in other words, you're not acting like I think the Messiah should. A man named Larry Taunton, he uh, launched a campaign contacting uh, uh, college students who were atheists and members of atheist clubs and and universities, and began to dialogue and, and write and speak back and forth. How did you become an atheist? He said... Students would begin by telling us they became atheists for purely rational reasons. But he said, but as we began to talk to them, it became clear for most people, the transition to atheism was an emotional one. For instance, Rebecca, a student at Clark University, said when the state intervened and removed her from her home because her mother uh, attempted suicide... Rebecca prayed that God would let her return to her family. She said he didn't answer, so I figured he must not be real. So now think about it. this is a this is a painful issue. In her mind, she said if God is real, he would allow me to go back with my suicidal mother. Now I don't even know if that was what was best. But but you see, God, you're not acting like I think you should. That's not an intellectual problem. That's an emotional one. Doubt is also a manifestation of pride. One of the common roots of doubt is when your beliefs are attacked or mocked. And often, this is in school, high school or university. For many people, doubt is born out of a desire to avoid looking foolish. Your college professor is attacked. What kind of moron would believe in a living God, what would believe a Bible like that, is that when you're going to boldly submit a paper telling you, declaring your belief in God? No, this is where many people, they turn away. It's not an intellectual issue. It's a pride issue. I'm not going to look stupid. And so they turn away from God. Then, of course, you have stubborn pride. Pride refuses to believe. It refuses to examine evidence or it rejects evidence. The famous French atheist Voltaire, he said, If a thousand people said they saw a miracle with their own eyes, I would trust my eyes rather than a thousand pairs of eyes. Well, aren't you precious? <laughs> so that, That's a stubborn... If a thousand people told me, I reject the evidence because I'm smarter than ever Well, your problem is not evidentiary. Your problem is ego that is producing your doubt. And then, of course doubt is moral people want their doubts to be true right people say I'm just struggling to believe many people they want their doubts to be true they don't want God to be true because if God is true and their doubts are not they are accountable ethics philosopher Mortimer Adler he actually got baptized at age 81. He said he rejected religious commitment for most of his life until he was 81 because it would require a radical change in my way of life, a basic alteration in the direction of my day-to-day choices, as well as in the ultimate objections to be sought or hoped for. The simple truth of the matter is, I didn't wish to live up to to being a genuinely religious person. So here's the first error that doubt is purely intellectual, that is not true. Number two, the second error is that doubt is the absence of faith, or doubt is anti-faith. The charge that is often given by unbelievers is, ah, Christianity is just simply blind faith, and so what they're saying is, you have faith, I have facts, right? But the Bible says something interesting in Romans 12.3. It says God has dealt to every person, even atheists, a measure of faith. Human beings are faith-based creatures. Every person has faith. In other words, every human being in the whole world believes in things they can't see. Everybody Every year, Chicago Cubs fans believe they're going to win the World Series. And we know that's not going to happen. (laughs) Right? You you get some young lady who 50 people are telling you, I'm telling you, he's a dirtbag. But she says, no. He's wonderful. I'm in love. That's faith. Because faith is true for every person. Listen, doubt is actually based on faith. Atheism is based on faith. When you have someone who says, there is no God, you can't prove that there is a God. You can't prove that there isn't a God. So you're taking that on faith. Or that you have people looking in the eye, yeah, well, there is a God, but my God would never judge sin like that. You certainly hope so. That is a faith position. And then as we looked at, even evolution, supposed to be based on science, involves huge amounts of faith. Error number three, doubt is completely logical. What people will say is, I reject Christianity because there are problems in logic. Do you understand in life, every belief system, whether we're talking about God whether it's about talking about science, whether they're talking about atheism, every belief system has things that they cannot understand or explain. You have people who say, I only believe in science. And then, of course, as we've examined in some detail, the origins of the world, that's going to be a big problem if you believe there is no God. How did the world come into existence, of course? Scientifically, people say by the Big Bang. Chemicals came together by chance. There was this big explosion, and that is what there wasn't life. And from that moment, the universe and life began. The problem with that statement is, of course, where did the chemicals come from? Because science tells us. Something cannot come from nothing. Something can only... That's what you say science says. So, Christianity is a belief system that has an explanation. There is a God who is not bound by the laws of time or science or anything else. He operates outside that. So, what happens is... People who reject God, you have to violate logic in order to make what's supposed to be a logical argument. And I'm sorry, that doesn't make sense. Doubt convinces us to believe the most illogical premises. As we looked in in one of these messages is there is absolutely no evidence for that, so there could be multiple universes where the Big Bang could occur. But the mathematical probability is so absolutely astronomical, it's actually ridiculous to believe that. Stephen Hawking, the man is a genius. He's got an IQ of like 160. And this man says, well, there just could be, could be, multiple universes, we just don't know where they are. Your logic is actually making you illogical. Dr. Francis Crick was one of the co-discoverers of DNA. He's not a Christian. When he understood how complex DNA is, he set out to determine mathematically the probabilities that just one DNA molecule came into existence by the law of evolutionary chance. He said he didn't get very far very quickly, he concluded there is 0.0 chance the DNA came in. And he's not a believer. That's an honest man because doubt is not completely logical. Error number four. Doubt simply comes from inside yourself. Now this is what people say, well, you know, just inside of me, uh, I just have doubts. Or for believers... They take this personal. There's something wrong with me because I'm sitting among all of these perfect believers. I must be defective because there's some things I, I can't really... It's hurting my head. I want you to notice this. John believed very strongly and then he came under attack. And it was when he was under attack when Herod arrested him then, the doubt started. So this tells us something. For believers, doubt does not simply come from inside you. Ephesians speaks about the fiery darts of the wicked, seasons of assault, fiery d- fire arrows that we have an enemy of our souls, that he shoots random thoughts, hoping they will stick and inflame our mind and consume our faith. If you're an unbeliever, go with me on... Don't you hate when people say that? Go with me on this. Let's just say a spiritual world is possible. Wouldn't it be a brilliant strategy if there was a devil to implant in the educational system doubt and to teach institutionally doubt and you produce all these young people that their brains wouldn't that be a brilliant strategy go with me on this (laughs) (laughs) doubt does not simply come from inside yourself number five the fifth error about doubt is that doubt somehow changes fundamental facts we've Said this, I think, in every sermon I've been emphasizing this is what is crazy about doubt and unbelief, atheism, or any version thereof. Listen to me. Because you believe something does not make it true. Because you don't believe something doesn't make it false. Belief doesn't change facts. That is so important for you to understand. John the Baptist is having some doubts. He's under assault. He can't work this out. You're not doing the, the way I think you should do it, God. And so he's saying, Jesus, are you the, I'm really having doubts. Notice Jesus' response. Jesus' response is, tell John what I'm doing. Jesus doesn't say, ladies and gentlemen, I have to resign as Messiah of Israel... I have to resign as Lord of the universe because John is having doubts. I'm not real anymore. Absolutely not. He says, John, you're having doubts. You go tell John what I am doing because of who I am. You doubting God doesn't change his existence. You believing God doesn't mean that he suddenly becomes what he wasn't already. Because doubt doesn't change. Fundamental facts. Let's close with one final thought. Let's talk about dealing with doubt here. And I want you to notice this. I want you to notice how kind Jesus is to people with doubts. John the Baptist has been one of his supporters, one of his believers. He's preached and aimed people at Jesus. And now he's saying, Jesus, I'm struggling here. I'm having some doubts. I want you to notice Jesus is not offended. You go tell John, how dare he doubt me? What kind of miserable worm would doubt me? He's he's not offended by this. What I love about this scripture is it shows us something. People are having doubts. God is for you. He's, He's not offended when people are struggling or they ask questions. Listen to me. You need to know this about God. He is for you. John the Baptist is having doubts. And he says, go tell John, I am what I am. Look at what I'm doing. Examine the evidence. They go, And then he turns to the crowd and he says, he doesn't say, listen, don't you ever be like John and doubt me. He says, I want to tell you something. John is a great man. He is for us. He's patient with people who are struggling with doubt. John 9 the father of the demon possessed boy i believe that i'm struggling with unbelief at the same time and that is possible you can believe and struggle with an area of unbelief and notice jesus doesn't rebuke him for being a miserable worm he works with him at his level and helps him because he's for you so my point is this doubt can be resolved You don't resolve doubt by must not doubt, must not doubt. That's not how you resolve doubt. Listen, if you want to resolve doubt, it can be resolved. If you don't want to resolve doubt, you've got pride, you've got sin, you want, you know, then there's nothing that I'm going to say or anybody else. But the point is this don't give up on God and don't ignore your doubts because doubt can be resolved. Mark 9, the father of the boy struggling with circumstances, and Jesus helps him. Asaph in Psalm 73, talking about injustice in the world, and God helps him. Thomas, Jesus, is able to help him resolve his intellectual doubt. John the Baptist, in all of these, doubt can be resolved. So this brings us then, we said... The first thing you should do if you're going to deal with doubt is you should examine your doubts honestly. But number two, we see in our scripture, how do you resolve doubt? You bring your doubts to God. What is John's answer? (coughs) His answer is not to send for books by Richard Dawkins and read them in prison. His answer is he takes his doubts to Jesus. To God in the flesh. And I want to tell you something. God is not afraid of your questions. What, what a poor view people have of God. Like God is like the Wizard of Oz. He's the, a little man behind the curtain. And if ever you pull back the curtain and say, There's some things I want to know. God's going to go, You caught me. John the Baptist, he says, There's some things I've I, I, I got to ask. There's some things I want to talk about. Mark nine twenty four. the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. If you're going to deal with doubt, take them to God. Talk to Him about it. Many of the Psalms that we read, I love the book of Psalms because it's such an honest book. You read many of the psalms, they're struggles of the soul. You will read as the psalm will begin. It will say, Lord, how long? And I don't get it. But by the end of the psalm, there's a resolution because what are psalms? They're talking to God about this. One of the honest prayers that an unbeliever, that an atheist, that a skeptic, an agnostic can pray is this. It's like the lady that I witnessed to a few weeks ago on the plane. She's saying, I don't believe in God and I tried to bring her as far as I could and we talked about issues and finally I ended. I said, you know what you need to do? Is you need to pray to God, ask Him, and say, God, I don't really believe, and there are things that I don't understand, but God, make yourself real to me. Because that's a, that's a prayer God's not afraid of. Just out of curiosity, how many of you, before you became a Christian, you prayed some version of God, make yourself real, lift up your hand. Isn't that amazing? Because that's a valid prayer. When a person comes to God... Doubt can be resolved. Number three, Jesus says, if you're going to deal with doubt, consider the evidence. The great mistake and the charge that is so unfair about Christianity, that it is blind faith, meaning in spite of evidence, must not think, must not look, must not... That is absolutely untrue. When John the Baptist sends messengers and says, John is not... Certain Jesus' response is show Him the evidence. Matthew 11, 4 and 5. The answer, go and tell John the things that you hear and you see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. How would those things be possible only if Jesus is God? Listen to me. A really smart guy can't raise the dead. A really good teacher can't open deaf ears or cause the lame to walk. This is what they said to Jesus. They were given a charge. of How can you say these things? He said, Your sins be forgiven. How dare you say... And Jesus said, Which is harder? To say your sins be forgiven or to say to a paralyzed man, Rise up and walk? And He says... But so you know that I have the right to forgive sins. He says to the man who's paralyzed, Pick up your bed, rise up and walk. And he did. Because he's showing something. The evidence shows who God is. See, faith is not opposed to reason. Absolutely not. Matthew 6. Jesus said to them, O you of little faith... Then what did he say? Don't think. Must not think. Must not think. Blind faith. That's not what he says. He says, consider the lilies of the field. Consider the spirit. You know what the word consider means? It's think, deduce, reason, think this through. Or in other words, in that in, what is the governing force of the universe? If it is all just blind faith, then why do atoms that have a different charge and should repel, why do they stick together? That doesn't make sense. The Bible says because He holds all things together. He says, think about this. The order of the universe that is perfectly fine-tuned, think about this. See, doubt doesn't come from thinking too much. It actually comes from thinking too little. The real problem is not, I just thought and thought and thought. It's like, dude, your brain overheated and now you can't believe. No, 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 no. The real issue is, we're faced, we're going through problems, we're assaulted in our mind, we're looking at injustice, we're going through personal pain, and we don't examine the evidence. And our feelings produce doubt. Philosophers of science say, when a scientist observes a phenomenon, how do they account for it? How do they understand it? They have to ask, what causes or governs the thing that I'm observing? And the way to find out is you pose a theory, then you try out a theory. One philosopher of science said, the way scientists decide which theory is the one that really is right and true is the theory with the greatest explanatory power. I believe in Christianity. I believe in God because it has the greatest explanatory power for all of life. The final issue is this. If you're going to deal with doubt, at the end of the day, you have to choose to believe. See, resolving doubt is a choice. John 20, 27, 28 said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Thomas, examine the evidence. But at the end of the day, you've got to make a choice. Atheism is a faith choice. Doubt is a faith choice. You're believing in your feelings more than the evidence. He says at the end of the day, Thomas, you have to choose. And you can do that. Every person can do that. Very important understanding is found in verse 6. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. I want to be honest with you. You're not going to understand everything. So we've talked and we've dealt with some basic issues of doubt. But I want to be honest with you. In spite of all that, you becoming a believer, you becoming a Christian is not because we have answered every single question. There's not one possible. You're not going to understand everything. The obvious one for John the Baptist, that Jesus doesn't even answer. The why is he asking the question? If you're God, and I'm following you, Why am I in prison? And I want you to notice Jesus doesn't even answer that question. He simply says, blessed is he who is not offended in me. In other words, you can choose to believe God. And in choosing to believe God, he says, don't get tripped up over the things you don't understand. You don't understand why the God of the universe. That's because you're not the God of the universe. And there's stuff you're not going to understand. So there are some things you're going to have to leave with God. The balance of this is the love of God. The blind, the lame, the lepers, the deaf, the dead. And the poor have the gospel preached. You know, this is the real issue. You're not going to understand everything, but he says go tell John that God cares for hurting people. And the greatest proof of the love of God is Jesus Christ who came out What a story. Listen, Hollywood couldn't make this up. God came out of heaven. Why? Because we're enemies. Because we violate Him and cannot have relationship with Him. He came out of heaven and became a human being. He became a man and went through things that people go through. And then he died on the cross to pay for what we did so that we could have relationship with Almighty God. That is the love of God. And at the end of the day, examine the evidence. Examine your doubts. All of those things. But at the end of the day, you have to choose. See, faith is a choice. And you can do that, you know. I close this story. Sheldon Vonnegut. he says he was struggling as a college student with whether he should be a Christian or not, he said, I saw a gap between the possible and the proved. He said he wanted assurance. How was I to cross that gap? I didn't want to jump in faith. If I was going to stake my whole life on the risen Christ, I wanted proof. I wanted certainty. I wanted letters of fire across the sky. I got nothing. But then I realized, my God, there was a gap behind me as well. I suddenly realized there'd have to be a leap of faith to acceptance because I couldn't prove that Jesus was God, but there was no certainty or proof behind me that Jesus was not. Therefore, even to go back was a leap of faith. I couldn't reject Jesus without great faith. When I realized it would take enormous faith to reject Jesus, I knew what to do. There's only one thing I could do. Once I saw the gap behind me, I flung myself over the gap toward Jesus. See, that's really what has to happen. At the end of the day, whether you are an atheist, someone who does not believe in God, skeptic, agnostic, that you're not sure, or whether you're a believer and there are things that are hurting your head, examine your doubts, examine the evidence, all those things, but at the end of the day, You can make a choice. God, I'm going to believe you. And when you do that, God will meet with you. I want you to bow your heads. Close your eyes all across this place.